We are all very human and fallible, and yet we live in a society that rewards pretending we're not fallible, or the range of acceptable fallibility is narrow. We are constantly comparing our insides to other people's outsides and feeling inadequate and guilty, even ashamed. Trying to blend in means parts of ourselves will disappear, and we must then live in fear that we will be found out. Here, together, we will create a space where we can laugh, cry, and carry our suffering and hurts lightly. In the service of being deeply human. This is Life's Dirty Little Secrets. Hello, and welcome to Life's Dirty Little Secrets. I'm Chris McCurry. And I'm Emma Waddington. And today we're here with the wonderful Louise Hayes. Many of you will know her. Louise Hayes is a fantastic clinical psychologist. She is an author of four ACT books, actually. Gosh, amazing. What Makes You Stronger, Get Out of Your Mind and Into Your Life for Teens, Thriving Adolescent, and Your Life, Your Way. She also does work with universities. She's a educator, trainer, and speaker. And she's involved in a fantastic charity, a not-for-profit called Pearl Trust. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about that work, Louise. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Emma. I'm glad I get to talk about my favourite topic. (laughs) Amazing. Um, Yes, please. So the Pearl Lotus is a very small charity that we set up that is in Nepal And we help kids go to school by doing things like building a schoolroom or buying books or pens or uniforms or things that help kids go to school. And we work in very small villages in remote Nepal. And it has a double edge because the other thing that we do is the money that we raise comes from health professionals who come to Nepal with us. And so we ask them to come to Nepal and we take them up into the mountains and they practice meditation and learn some things about self-compassion and kindness and being together. And we've been doing this for eight years now. And the thing that I love the most is double peace, is we help Mm -hmm. professionals and we help children. Mm -hmm. And we have had professionals come back three times because Mm -hmm. they've loved it so much and they talk about how it's changed their life. So... How would someone find out more information about this program? I can just go to my website and click on the little link on my homepage for the Pearl Lotus and email me and we'll go from there. So far, I have done it as a volunteer for eight years. There's something really powerful about doing something as a volunteer. Amazing. And your website is? www.louisehayes.com.au Excellent. Amazing. Wonderful. I've got actually a couple of students who have been multiple times. They loved it. So today, Louise has agreed to come on and talk about the topic of, did we say adolescenting? We did. We're going to create a new word. We're going to call it adolescenting. Yes. Such a, yes, such a mouthful. So we wanted to end the season with this topic, given that we started with adulting. So yes, let's start talking about what it's like to be an adolescent and adolescenting, if there were such a word. What are your thoughts? I want to first begin by not sounding like a boomer and assuming that I know everything about being an adolescent today. But I think there are some really important things in adolescence 
and the period of being an adolescent that is so interesting to me in terms of our life. I used to run some training workshops where I would ask people to put up their hand if they'd like to go back to their adolescence. Mm. And pretty much no one put up their hand. You might get one or two in a room of 40 people. And I think there are some really important learning things inside adolescence. If we think from just like an evolutionary perspective, there are some things that happen in terms of our adaptation in adolescence that are really useful to understand and that might make it easier for us to understand the learning journey in our own adolescence and to make space for that rather than just like pushing it away and going, that was a horrible time. Mm -hmm. And to also take our adolescence into our current life because there are some things that they could teach us. So if you want me to talk about that, evolutionary little piece it's a really powerful piece to understand that's so striking isn't it that so few people put their hands up so much to unpack there as well why is it that adolescence has such a bad name like when people talk about adolescence generally they don't tend to talk of them in, in a very positive way and I guess that's part of our dirty little secret today is really thinking about, as you said, I often struggle with in conversations with clients who are parenting adolescents, this really negative view of that stage of their lives, but also the stage that their children are going in. And and some people brace themselves for that stage. And like you mentioned before we started the podcast, this idea that actually that's a, a dirty little secret, that actually there's a lot we can learn from adolescence and even from our own. And I love the idea about this evolutionary stage. So kick it away. Tell us a bit about this. If you look at adolescence across the species, so in puppies and mice and bear cubs and humans, and those behaviours that you will see are Mm risk-taking, love of novelty, sensation-seeking, and changes in relationships between peers and families. And when you see something across the species, it can be really helpful because we can think, okay, there's something really adaptive inside that. Mm. So there's something really adaptive about taking risks and loving novelty and changing up your relationships. And in, in animals, it's really easy to see. There's this study that I often quote of some researchers who put mice in a maze And they took three groups of mice, children, adolescent and adult mice. And they had a cliff wall in the maze. And the children mice and the adult mice stayed well away from the cliff wall. But the adolescent mice, they walked right along the edge. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they did. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And if you think about what's going on there from an adaptive process, is when you're an adolescent, you need to take risks by going out and discovering and learning the boundaries and learning what you can do and what you can't do and learning how strong you are. And if you're an animal, you need to go out and reproduce and find food. So you need to learn how to do that and that requires the ability to take risks. And if you're a human, it's a bit more complex. We also need to learn how to be an how to become a citizen in our society and that takes practice you don't just wake up at 18 years old and know how to do it or 25 years old and know how to do it you have to practice it and so there's a an adaptive process that kind of 
drives us to love novelty and to want to take risks and to do all that in the service of making mistakes and trying again. And I think it's that mistakes piece when we look back at our own adolescence and say, oh, that was a horrible time. I think it's because we don't make a space and we don't have a sense of understanding of those mistakes. We just carry them with a deep sense of shame. Yes, that's so interesting. And when I stop and think about my adolescence, I actually had a great time. But because I had so much freedom and part of this ability to take risks and make mistakes comes with needing freedom. And that's the autonomy piece that adolescents and we need across the ages. But that ability as adults, we struggle with that. We struggle to give adolescents the, the space because we fear that the mistakes are going to be really serious. And But there's so much growth in taking those risks that as adults, we then don't experience. We can get quite stuck in our ways whilst adolescents do live on the edge a bit more. And like when your DNAV model, discovering what it's like to be human and what they like and they don't like, and that's so amazing that they're willing to try such sometimes from classical music to hard rock to pink hair to no hair it's really quite amazing (laughs) the range and as before we came on we were talking about the incredible advantage that gives us when it comes to making discoveries I wonder if you could talk to that at all I found that That's one of the things that I guess, to me as an adult, I think, thank goodness we have adolescence. (laughs) Otherwise we'd be really stuck in so many ways. Imagine if we could, if we all could carry our adolescence and our experience and memories of our adolescence with a sense of understanding that this was about growth and therefore Mm. the mistakes you make don't make you stupid or make you feel like you have to be ashamed we all did not all of us but most of us did the dumbest things in adolescence and we don't want to carry shame about that we want to go we want to think about how much that has shaped us into who we are and the and when we talk about risk taking it's important to note we're not talking about maladaptive risk so we're not talking about doing things that harm you and stop you from growing we're talking about taking risks in which you make a mistake stand up again and try again and you learn some things about yourself over time there's a I'll I'll touch on another little piece of research because I find I love this research I talk about it all the time Alison Gopnik she's a psychologist who does developmental research across the lifespan and when they look across the lifespan at behaviors one of the studies that that her team did is they looked at the age in which we are open to new opportunities and the ages in which we are closed do you want to have a guess Mm. (laughs) at which one is most closed and which one is most open go for it chris i'm guessing (laughs) that the adolescence is the period when we're most open to it and then that that starts shutting down when we have responsibilities and uh, all the the burdensome stuff that comes or we think comes with adulthood. We just don't have time for that anymore. We have responsibilities, and that starts shutting down. We get very conservative and very risk averse. 
Absolutely. So Alison's research suggests that this period of adolescence, they have all of the cognitive capacity and the physical strength to try things just like an adult would, like they have everything there, the ability to make a decision about something that they're going to do and to do it. And they have all of those things. But what they don't have is a sense of the costs and the risks that they might face. So they have all of the capacity to try something new, but without any of this, oh, I've got to make sure I don't lose my job and I have to make sure I've paid the bills and I I have to make sure I have enough sleep so that I can go to work tomorrow. They don't have those costs. There's a, a window in which creativity they're at their most, it's our most creative age, young people, our most creative age. Now, of course, there's that piece where they make decisions without the hot cognitions, make decisions based on a, an instant with peers around them. And that's a downside. Everything has an upside and a downside. But just if we start to begin to think about our most creative period in humanity is this 12 to 24 creativity period and imagine if we were able to continue to tap into that as we get older that we didn't just say oh no I've got to think about the bills and I've got to think about this but we allowed a little piece of that to continue I think it's a huge opportunity for humans a huge opportunity to continue to foster this ability to discover something new so true it's so wonderful I love talking to you about adolescence because I think mostly the conversations we're having outside of our conversation today are quite negative. And yet here we are talking about what tends to sort of roll adults' eyes in such a vital and exciting way. Yeah, it's, it's, I can feel the excitement. I want to bring out this adolescent in me a bit more, actually. I think listening to you and thinking about, I'm just thinking about like Greta Thunberg. Yeah, She's absolutely. Apparent big part of the current movement obviously in climate change but also she's standing out and she's talking and saying things that people don't want to say in a very true adolescent way and how important she is to in a way calling people out and what life would be like if we didn't have those parts of us or adolescence in the sort of yeah in our in our pool I think we might know what life would be like if we didn't have that part Like if you look across the history of humanity that we have, change is often driven by young people. Not always, but a lot of change is driven by young people who see the world with new eyes. And there are flaws in that. It's not all perfect, of course. And I'm not at all suggesting that we all go out and act like 14-year-olds. But there's a piece in there that we could continue as we get older. Part of Alison Gopnik's research is looking at the ability for adults to approach a new situation and the older you are wait for this you won't like this the older you are the more likely you will reject a new idea even if the evidence supports it wow i know right (laughs) the older you get the more likely you go no that can't happen Yeah, that's so disturbing. Look at what we saw with the pandemic and uh, mm-hmm. people's responses to vaccines and other health measures. And those weren't necessarily older people, but it was quite striking 
how people really dug in their heels and then would not accept some pretty, you know, common sense things. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I think you see it in lots of things is that we're, a, we're an o- older population in terms of if you're a Western culture, we're an older population. Worldwide, we're not. 25% of the world are under, I think it's 25% are under 25 years old. But in Western cultures, we're getting older and older. We, you can see our inability to change with climate change and some of these things that are, we want the world to, climate change is an obvious example, but there are other things too, like democracy or other ideas and the way things are run and we keep doing the same things over and over and perhaps we need some new ideas and it might come from younger people. If you had a balance, this is not like age, I'm not criticising older people, I'm getting to be one of them, but let's imagine Mm -hmm. we had a balance where we were able to balance new ideas from younger innovative thinkers with the experience and wisdom of older people. And if we put those two together, then we have a perfect match. Yeah. I'm just listening and thinking, why is it? Like thinking about our dirty little secret that sort of adolescents can teach us and thinking about, as you're describing, how much we actually can, we rely really on the adolescent mind to innovate in the world why is it that as adults we struggle with adolescence so much and we struggle with yeah what are your thoughts about that because that just feels so yeah so real yeah chris you might have some thoughts about this too you spent a long time with young people yeah and i feel like i've been able to prolong my adolescence for a number <laughs> of decades now What's your secret? I I finally (laughs) finished college at 41. I I think there's there's just so much conflict and there's Mm. so much molting that goes on where you're trying to shed this skin that's too tight like some snake that (laughs) needs to shed its skin and and then it's raw when the skin has uh, been shed. And just the adolescents that I've worked with over the years – um, you know, they just, they, they, their values are so strong and they're often in conflict, apparently in conflict with the adults around them who are not giving them enough autonomy. In fact, that was our, our last podcast we, rec- we recorded. It was with Emily Edlin about autonomy supportive parenting and mm-hmm. families who don't see those as opportunities conflicts as opportunities to talk about values and to talk about good communication and to work through it as opposed to just, you know, shutting it down. But one of the, and Emma and I were talking about this earlier, but one of the the quotes that I'm often giving to the adolescents that I've worked with is from Carl Jung, who said, life's truly important problems cannot be solved. They can only be outgrown. That is a quote. That, yeah. And to say, you're never going to solve the problem of your parents' stupidity. <laughs> you're never going to solve the problem of your parents' divorce. These are more conditions than actual problems, which is a whole other topic. But you know, I would often say, your life has to be about that point on the horizon that you're heading toward. 
and grieve your parents' stupidity or the divorce or who's going to look after your little sister when you go off to university, but you need to go off to university. You can't just stay mm-hmm. with the wounded and try to fix things that just aren't fixable, or at least not by you. So I think a lot of adolescence is just pain and grief and having to let go to accept, allow for certain things that are we're not happy about, but are just not within our control to to modify, at least in those moments. Those are the kinds of struggles that stand out to me when I think about adolescence and my own adolescence as well, in mm-hmm. terms of being in a moderately dysfunctional family and not normal that it would impede my ability to be a creative person and, and a therapist in the future. I look back on some <laughs> of that stuff as, as great training, but yeah. yeah, just just the conflicts, the headbutting, the yes. the uncertainty about how it's all going to work out. And then you can look back and say, why was I worried so much about that? As adults, why do we find adolescence so hard? Is it because we struggle with change and with risk taking and... As I'm thinking about parenting an adolescent, teaching an adolescent, relating, it's adults find that really difficult. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Why? Why is it so hard? Well, I think it's because we're afraid. If you're a parent, the young person that you have is the most important, not almost the most important to most people, not everyone, but like you're responsible for this life. You are responsible for this person's life. And if they grow up and have a messy life, then it's your fault. When you work with parents, you would have heard it too, is parents will blame themselves for everything, right down to a child who has a genetic condition. We can all, sometimes there's a little voice inside you that's, oh, it's my fault because it came from my genetic side. And if you think about the things that we do as adults is often every mistake we blame ourselves. Like it's something that we're not doing right. There's times when we blame the young person too. But deep inside us, there's a little voice or, or that the says... the other parent. Yeah, or the other yeah. parent group. But deep inside us, there's a little, you're getting this little bit wrong. And so I think it's fear that this most important person that you love, that you want to get them to the other side. And you want to get them to the other side with a good life. And if they don't have a good life, then it's painful. It's really painful. I think at a certain point you realize there is no other side. My son is 29 and still worry about him and what he's up to. I know my mother died at 92 and was still worried about her kids. We all took turns being mom's worry of the, of the month. But yeah, I don't think it ever ends as a parent. It does. You're right. I think it's fear. And I think from that fear, if we as adults don't really understand that fear and we can't make space for it, then what we do is we jump in and we're really responsive. And so I think it's a balance. I think with young people, the best thing that we can do is provide the foundation, the safe base, so that if a big mistake happens, they can come, you can help them pick that up and teach them and model for them what they ought to, what they might do. But not fix every little thing. Some of those mistakes, we, we just have, have to kind of step back and that's really difficult. It's really hard to watch your young person in a bit of pain. But if it's, a, if it's not a catastrophic mistake, then sometimes just standing back and watching the consequences and letting them learn from that can be a really useful thing to do. 
difficult. I guess that's the difficult. Yeah, exactly. And just thinking about the process of adolescenting, how important it is as a developmental stage for themselves. You know, we've gone on to think about how key they are to help us push forward new ideas and how difficult it is for the adults that look after adolescents that sort of hang out with adolescents to let that process unfold safely and I guess that's the the sweet spot and and what that looks like will depend because sometimes their ideas are safe they're Mm, you know taking risks and they're still safe but we may find that very hard anyway you may be more on the controller sort of side of the spectrum but yeah absolutely allow that process because this isn't a key process and that's hard it's hard to watch anyone you love make a mistake you want to jump Mm. in and fix it for them all the time it's really hard to watch someone you care about make a mistake and we need to help we do need to be there to jump in for the big ones but for the smaller ones sometimes not so much yes and that's where their creativity lives and I guess some of the I'm just thinking Sometimes with adolescents, that process of discovery can look really messy. It may not be mistakes for them, but it looks a little uncertain for us as adults. Exactly. And it can look uncertain for the young person too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When we, in the framework that we use, we talk about discovery and I just happened to find a quote this morning, which is not from one of our books, but it's from a book on writing stories. And I was just reading it, and it was there this morning, and I thought, oh, this will be good for the podcast. The most valuable insights come from self-discovery. Nothing ignites the imagination like the unearthing of buried treasure. And I think that is like the essence of what we want to do. The valuable insights come from the discovery process. And that means trying something and sometimes allowing it for not it not to go like you expect, for it to go wrong. And that's the buried treasure part, I think, is if we all think back about our lives and often the most profound insights about who we are and the kind of life we want and that direction we want to go in actually come from those really hard pieces. The buried treasure underneath that is that there'll be something we will be able to grow from. And I'm not at all suggesting what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's not what I'm saying because that's not a really good way to look at it. But if you think about where our growth comes from, nothing ignites the imagination like the unearthing of a buried treasure. So you got to dig. Yeah. And maybe the buried treasure for us oldies (laughs) came from things that we learned a long time ago. I love that. So maybe we can move into, we've sort of established that adolescents can teach us, even though we find that a very unnerving ride sometimes. Maybe we can now move on to how do we, another dirty little secret is this, that we don't nurture the adolescent in us. Mm-hmm. Like how do we keep this alive? This part of us that is willing to take risks and be a discoverer and bury deep to these to find these treasures. What are your thoughts? I think allowing ourselves to ponder and to imagine is a really interesting place to consider it. Sometimes in my workshops there's a little exercise that I do where I ask people to write the word someday and then the numbers one, two, three, four, five. 
And just at the end of those things, I asked them to write, I asked them to consider writing just whatever someday things might be. We're not setting goals or planning for things you're actually going to do, but just let your mind like wonder. Like if you could just open your heart and think like you did when you were 12 years old. I remember being a teenager, 12 to 14, and having these posters of people on the wall, the music stars that I loved and admired, and I'd lay there on my bed and imagine that I met them and I went to their concert mm. and then I went to their castle and, you know, <laughs> all that sort of thing. And I'm not suggesting that we, like, drift off into fairyland as adults, but imagine if you were just able to open up the possibility of someday this might be something that I might want to think about. If we could just open up our thinking. So I do have a someday list in my on my phone and it's a note in my phone and it's just got five things and I look at that list every couple of years and I modify it. And you know what surprises me is that sometimes the things that are on that someday list, I actually start to do. Wow, that's so cool. That's so and who would have thought? Certainly not my a predicting advisor, as we call it, my self-talk. No way would I predict that was going to happen. I love that. There's actually a book called Wonder. I've got it somewhere here, and it talks about that ability to wonder and how we lose it and how that is the place where science lives, where development from a sort of evolutionary perspective lives, is in this ability to wonder. And I love the sound of that. I love to, to watch my children wonder. It's just such an incredible thing that they can just do. Like my daughter, she's still very little. She's not adolescent. She's going to be seven. Um, or in her mind, she's been seven for about six months, but she's going to be seven next week. And she just <laughs> wanders. She just walks around the garden and imagines this and imagines that. And I wonder what would happen. And sometimes she goes ahead and does it. And I just think, what a wonderful place to be living in. <laughs> what a world. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. It's that sort of beginner's mind in from the Buddhist place. It's like everything is a possibility. And it's there for you no matter like where we are. Like we're not suggesting daydreaming about being a rock star, but just op just opening up to the possibilities of things that you want to be able to think about, not do, not set goals. We're very goal-driven, very focused. My partner who goes to Nepal with me and it, it, who runs the trips that we run in Nepal is a Sherpa and a Sherpa is a culture not a job so he's from Sherpa culture and sometimes he said in a Buddhist culture and I'm not suggesting anyone has to be Buddhist but in a Buddhist culture there is this nice metaphor about the ways in which we can be led along like a mule if you think of a mule that's trained it's got the reins on and it's just being pulled along from the nose like a mule mm. right and sometimes I can live my life like that, like just the very next thing, just pull me along the goals, the plans, the workload, the things that have to be done, just to be led along from the nose like a mule. And sometimes I think one thing that we can do, a little secret, is to just put that down for a little bit and just spend some time standing and looking around and being able to stop, make some space, even if it's a little bit of space in our diaries, to find some time just to be in life. So true, isn't it, that we don't find that time because we're too busy doing. Yeah, and adolescents, they're in life. Unless we, like, push them out of it by 
talking about your grades and your high school and your all that stuff. But if you if we don't do that, they're in life. They're in learning and making mistakes and learning through trial and error. And I think we don't want to be all that. We're adults. We've got responsibilities. We don't want to be all that. But we don't want to be none of it either. It's finding that sweet spot. And for each of us, it will be different, won't it? Yeah. Where that place sits. And it's interesting to think, do you think that depending on how we did our adolescence, those are the pieces we need to keep? If I think about you know, the kind of adolescent I was, I think there are parts of our adolescence that we perhaps still need to experience in a way. So if I think of some of the adolescents that Chris and I have spoken about that are very struck, stuck in this family dramas or if something terrible is happening to their family, they don't get to do this part to explore and wonder and experiment and discover. And what happens if we don't do that part? Do we need to do that later? I think sometimes you do get to do that part even in disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in a very poor home and left school when I was 13, 14, 13, 14, depending on when you want to define the leaving bit, and had a pretty rough road. And actually, I think the thing that saved, one of the things that saved me through that period was the ability to use my mind to be in other places, even when the physical world around me was too difficult. In, In my case, it was books, but it could be through imagination or through movies or through story. And I think that allows us to see, to be in places and to open our mind, even if our world around us is really difficult. That feels like such a, an important place to be able to go to, even as adults, that place where it's, that, it's where vitality lives, right? Where creativity lives. I think it's also the ability to see that there's something else out there. It's not just my world, but what are the possibilities and how mm-hmm. could I connect with what's out there and what's possible and how do I get there? And when you said that, well, the first thing I thought was, Chris, was, you're right, the meaning of life is not 42. <laughs> <laughs> For those of people who are old enough to know yes. <laughs> what, I'm referring to, what I'm referring to as the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and the meaning of life as being 42, but it's not. It's, there, it, it's a discovery to make, isn't it? And you were talking earlier about what is it about adolescence that, that's so difficult, and I think sometimes as adults we look at adolescence and we think, You'll learn, kid, because there's this this narcissistic quality to mm. doing adolescence well. And I was reading a paper about adolescence a long time ago. They were talking about three different ways to build sandcastles and three different approaches. And I've often used this with some of the kids that I've worked with. When you build a sandcastle, you want to get that nice wet sand that's right down by the beach where the water is. And so... You build a sandcastle and the waves come in and they destroy it and that's going to happen. And there are some people that build sandcastles and then the water comes in, destroys the sandcastle and they're furious. They're just incredibly indignant and they build another sandcastle and the water comes in and knocks it down and they're incredibly furious and indignant. And then there are other people that look at the situation and say, I'm not going to build a sandcastle at all because the waves are just going to knock it down. And then there's that third type, which I think is the adolescent, that builds the sandcastle, 
knowing full well that the waves are going to knock it down. But they do it anyway, and they enjoy it. They get a lot out of the experience. And then when it gets knocked down, they build another one. And I think that's the channeling that creativity that comes from narcissism, to, that comes from that, that feeling that I can do this. I'm large and in charge. And, and if it doesn't work out, I can just try it again. And I think as adults, we get into that second category of, I'm not even going to try because it's just going to be too painful. The cost is going to be too high, too old. So forget about it. I love that story, Chris. I really love that story. I could roll from that story into a, into a, a story that you can leave in or leave out if you want. But a few years ago, there was a YouTube clip that went viral here in Australia. And it was the prime minister of our country and he was walking across the Parliament House lawn outside and all of the cameras were filming this person walking across the Parliament House lawn and there was a group of school children who were sitting on the lawn visiting Parliament House and having a lesson. And they were school children, they were adolescents, I should say. They were probably about 17, 16. And the Prime Minister saw them and, he, and all the cameras are on and he saw them and he said, oh, would you like to ask the Prime Minister a question? <laughs> and one of the 17-year-olds put their hand up and said, Mr Prime Minister, can you tell me why we treat refugees like we do? <laughs> like such an adolescent question, right? And bold and brave. I'm like, go adolescent. And the answer was from the Prime Minister, you young children, you have all these idealised views, but when you grow up, you'll realise it's much more complicated than what you think. Ooh. Right? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. And that's it. That's the thing. That's the thing. That's the sandcastle thing. That's yeah. the thing we need to capture is... It's crazy. Yeah. I actually, I remember being a kid and I made two promises to myself. And the first one was never to forget what it's like to be a kid because I couldn't believe the way adults treated kids in this really arrogant way that they knew better and that my problems were small because I was small. And I was quite indignant about it. And so I made a decision that I'd never forget and that I'd work with children to make sure that they felt heard and understood. So to me, that was so important. That is really powerful. Yes. yes, thank you. And the second one was that I'd never be an expat parent, but here I am. So I broke that, <laughs> that promise. <laughs> but well, as long as you keep the first one, it'll be okay. But I have an image of your teenagers with their hands on their hips going, now, you know, Mum, you said you'd never forget what it was like to be a kid, and here you are forgetting because you're telling yes. me, I have, here's my curfew that I don't want. <laughs> Of course, and I get my kids telling me, when you call yourself a psychologist, they keep challenging us to be more open-minded and to nurture their autonomy, even when it's really hard and actually wrong, potentially, and dangerous, like we've said. Yeah, it's holding all that rule-governed stuff lightly. And about ourselves, too. I often think about that Prime Minister story with the Prime Minister saying, when you grow up, you'll understand how complex it is. And the young person just putting up their hand and, you know, asking a bold, brave question. 
And I often think about that kind of scenario in our own lives as we sit around our team meetings or as we sit around with other adults and you have a bold, brave question in your mind but you don't say it because you're too scared to look stupid or or worried about sounding different and that kind of piece just doesn't come through, that ability to be discover new ways. Somebody could say, I wonder how we could treat the refugees differently. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Appoint a 16-year-old to the position. Yeah, that'd be an interesting exercise. Yeah. But yeah, we we make things more complicated than they need to be. And I think, again, it goes back to what you were saying, Louise. It's fear. We just get fearful about all the many things our minds tell us could go wrong. And the biggest fear is that we might make a mistake, whether that's putting your hand up and asking a question at a team meeting that is a bit out there and you might get shot down and then go home and feel stupid or whether it's that you might make a mistake with your young person or that they might make a mistake. Well, a friend of mine in graduate school used to say, if I don't behave, I can't be shaped. (laughs) So he was willing to make mistakes. It was lovely. And that's what people who do a lot of discoveries talk about. He discovered the light bulb and he said, I haven't failed a thousand times. I've just discovered a thousand ways not to do it. Yeah, exactly. And that's the reframe. Exactly. With mistakes. Wrapping up in a few minutes, what are the key points that we'd like to leave our listeners? You want me to add those key points? (laughs) Yes. Anyone may. Anyone may. I'm afraid of making a mistake, so I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Have you learned nothing from this podcast? Let's none of us wrap up so that we don't make mistakes right at the very end. That's right. Exactly. On a good note. <laughs> I think to, to, to wrap up is every age in every age across a human life is really important and teaches us and we can learn from it and we can keep it just like we keep a bit of our inner child if we keep a bit of our adolescent and nurture that. I think that's a really important thing just to allow yourself some space in your life to wonder and to explore and to try new things and to not beat yourself up when you make a mistake. And maybe even mm. to rebel a little. I like that. I love that. Absolutely. Let's rebel a little. <laughs> I'm going to make a, a commitment a to do that. <laughs> yeah, I commit to rebelling a bit today. I'll think about what I rebel on. Or I might just do it. We'll find out. Yeah. Now, the important thing about rebellion and the important thing about discovery is that we want to learn from it, not just do it for the sake of doing it. We want to think, how did that go for me? And did it serve the kind of person that I want to be? And as long as you're on that path, go and rebel away, Emma. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll let you you do that. (laughs) You can can be our designated rebeller for today. I suspect I will be. On my way to see the headmistress. Yes. Um, I might have to tame that side of me a bit. <laughs> Otherwise, I might be escorted out of the school. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Louise. This was so much fun. Yes, I'm going to nurture my inner adolescent and think about my the adolescents I have in my life and see them a bit with the awe that they deserve and respect. And that someday list... Because I think if I were to go back and ask my 16-year-old self, what do you want to do someday? I know he, I know exactly what he would say. And 
the path took me in a different direction, but in a good one. But I know there's a few things that I think he would still want me to try to do. Oh, that's really cool. I love that. That's really cool. All right. Thank you so much, Louise Hayes. And again, thank you for your work in Nepal. And anybody interested in uh, finding out more about it can discover your website. Thank you. This was a really fun podcast. Thank you for inviting me along. You're very welcome. Thank you, Louise. Thanks so much for tuning into the Life's Dirty Little Secrets podcast. If you have any feedback for us or secrets for future episodes, you can email us at lifesdirtylittlesecretspodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Life's Dirty Little Secrets or on Facebook at Life's Dirty Little Secrets Podcast. We invite you to follow, rate, and review us on wherever you listen to this podcast. It is the best way to get our podcast out in front of new listeners. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more. See See you you then. then.